What's up, listeners? It's your host, Chris Chavez, and I am back behind the mic for the first time in about a month for a new episode of the Sidious Mag podcast. I want to apologize for being away. As some of you might know, I was preparing to run the Tokyo Marathon at the beginning of March, so I decided to take a little bit of time to really zone in on my race and decompress and not stress myself out, so that meant no podcasts and less writing, and I was just really focusing on running well. And I guess I did that because I did clock a 21-minute personal best. It was arguably the best race of my life. I ran 316, which might not be fast to some of you, but it was a big step forward for me and my own running. I decided to write about that race in full detail, and you can check that out on SidiousMag.com. My race reflection is on there if you're interested in that kind of thing. So then after the race, I went on a little bit of a vacation and stayed in Japan. So I recharged the batteries, got my body feeling right again. And so now that all of that is said and done, my batteries are recharged, and I am ready to bring you some more podcasts, some more conversations, and some more stories with the most interesting people in the sport. So again, I'm sorry for the lack of content on the feed, but I will be making it up to you over the next couple days and with a big month of April. So today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast is brought to you by the newest show on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network. And in the last couple months, Runners of NYC has taken a deeper look at the running culture in New York City through some of the stories of legends and luminaries of the Big Apple. Well, now we're delving into Portland, and I'm very happy to introduce Full Tub with Nick Roche. So the show is going to dive into the Jacuzzi Boys Athletic Club. They were recently profiled in Runner's World, and as the article put it, they are a running group for anyone who has wanted to push the boundaries of their athleticism while they still could. So now you'll get to hear all of their stories, one episode at a time, Nick Roche, who has been a previous guest on the Sidious Mag podcast, will host the show, and so we're really happy to welcome him into the Sidious family. The first episode is with Andrew Lemoncello, so in that interview, you learn how an Olympian ended up running with this band of misfits. So find out. The show is available now, and it's streaming on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. I will include the links to all of them in the show notes. There's a really special section in that podcast where uh, Lemoncello talks about running a 200-mile week and what he learned from that experience. So uh, there's a lot of really cool stories in that first episode, and I encourage you guys to check it out. And if you've been really fiending for some running podcasts, I actually didn't miss a beat and released two episodes of Runners of NYC in the past month, so I wasn't totally away from everything. You can check those episodes out as well. My guest for today's show is Ryan Sterner, and you can tell I'm easing my way back into the podcasting game by bringing on one of Sidious Mag's other co-founders. So Ryan is one of the funniest guys on staff. He might be a familiar voice to some of you since he co-hosted the shorter episodes we did after every Diamond League meets. Those were the Big Meat Pods with Stephen Kirsch. And he actually used to be one of the voices of reason that we had on Running Things Considered. That podcast is currently undergoing some changes, and we will be bringing it back. So that's some good news for the fans of that show. 
Ryan is one of the site's funniest and best writers, but we'll finally learn about his running history. Where did he get his start? What's his relationship like with the sport? And how did he end up running the LA Marathon? This past weekend, he ran 249 and was the 74th place male finisher. So who would have thought? So this is a really fun conversation with a good friend of mine. We'll bring back some professional runners on the show very soon. But for now, enjoy this hilarious conversation with Ryan Sterner. Let's start the show. Ryan, welcome to the podcast where you're, for the first time, a guest. Yeah, that's, um, I think when you asked me, like last week, if I'd be on it, I was like, well, I'll probably by far be the slowest and least accomplished person to ever grace the the airwaves, but... Um, then you remember you Jason know, Suarez has been on the podcast. Oh, that's, uh, I'm not going to go there, uh, but... I was thinking, you know, this is what happens when dad owns the podcast. It's a nepotism at its finest. It's great. So we're a couple days removed now from the Los Angeles Marathon. Um, and you're alive. Yeah, I did it. I survived. But I, um, I actually just got back from my first run since, uh, since the thon. And uh, I'll tell you, things aren't feeling so great down there. <laughs> Wait, so why didn't you give yourself like a week off? Is it just because, all right, so you're, we're recording this. I'm in New York. You're in Portland. And mm-hmm. in Portland, everyone's just constantly running. So like, it's just like you're going to be left at home doing nothing. Why, why did you run? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Is, um, I'm sure it's the same, same thing with you. But like all of our friends are just much better marathoners than we are. And uh Everybody was telling, like, I was just with Scott Olberding, who I think possesses, what, like a 225 PR, a full 30 minutes faster than what I ran in Los Angeles. And he's like, yeah, just go out there and uh, test it out. Give it a little jog. And Paul, you know, I ran the thing with Paul. He's already ran a couple of times, says he's feeling all right. So I figured, why not? If everybody else is doing it, I might as well join him. Um, So I did like 25 minutes at nine minute pace and I will be taking the rest of the week off. <laughs> All right. So before we get into just how you ended up running the marathon, I feel like I don't know too much of your background with running and the listeners definitely don't. So take us, how did you get into the sport as a boy in Minnesota? <laughs> as a boy? Um, as a boy, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if this is normal, but our the high school I went to was grades seven through twelve. Um, so you could start playing sports, like organized school sports in seventh grade. Um, and when I got to yeah, when I got to seventh grade, I was God under five feet tall. Um, probably didn't weigh more than a hundred pounds, and you know, I think track is the haven for undersized children. So, uh, I don't know. I had done like track and field day, that kind of stuff. But me and my, my, I had a buddy who like my best friend at the time, I think he was, his sisters 
ran track and they were a little older than him and they were very good at it. Like I remember one of them was a couple years older than us and she was maybe like a she was like a sub 60 400 meter runner and he was going to go out for for track just because like his siblings were doing it. I was like, you know, I'm small, my best friend is running track, let's go run track. Um so I joined the team in 7th grade and because I went to a very small school that couldn't field like a proper varsity track and field team in seventh grade I was a member of like the varsity track team like not based on any merit but based on just necessity so (laughs) um yeah I was just seventh grade running track and field against the the big dogs and uh did you like it um I mean my memories of like early the the early you know seventh eighth even like ninth grade aren't really have don't have anything to do with racing or enjoying the workouts or enjoying the running like whatsoever it was mostly I had a lot of friends that ran and it was fun to hang out like I it was also for whatever reason a lot of the track meets that we had were an hour and a half to two hour drive away from the school so it was a pretty good excuse to also get out of class like fairly early on a regular basis um but like it was just kind of a lot of fucking around like i i remember um one of my buddies missed his race one time because we were sitting like in our team's tent playing pokemon on the game boy so it's just you know it's like it's a lot of it's those are kind of the memories of which i think yeah, I, I loved it. I loved track, mostly because of just being able to kind of fuck around with your friends. It wasn't anything that I took seriously for a very long time. You graduate high school. Were your PRs anything impressive? Um, or what no. did you feel most proud of? Yeah. What did I... I mean, I, what, I went to a pretty small high school, so Minnesota for track and cross-country is divided into uh, single A and double A. Um, Double A being the bigger schools, which is far more competitive. Like a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of pretty good high school talent that has come out of um, Minnesota. Uh, Most of the time it's come out of the double A system just by virtue of the talent pool being a lot bigger. Um, But by the time I graduated high school, I qualified for state in cross country twice. I was talking about, like, when I was a junior at the meet to qualify for state, I got, like, eighth by running 17.10 for the 5K. Um, and then I think the year after that, I ran, like, 16.50 and I qualified for state again. Um, at the state meet, I, I got, like, 50th place. You know, like, nothing great whatsoever. Um, and then in track... Track was nothing. I mean, I ran like two flat for the 800, um, 434 for the mile, uh, 10, like 1015 for the two mile. I don't know. Nothing, nothing impressive like at all. I guess like I could go to any meet and get like top five in a race, but like, you know, that it's all, it's all relative, right? Like, I guess I was considered good, but like in the grand scheme of things, it was because I was racing against, um, other people that, you know, 
weren't that great either. So, did you want to do it in college? Um, I was recruited to run. I was recruited by a handful of like division two. Like I could have gone to like a division two school. Um, I visited a handful of like smaller schools in Minnesota, um, but really it was it wasn't something that I ever thought about seriously. Like I had a teammate who was pretty good. Like he was a like a one fifty seven eight hundred meter runner and a four twenty miler, um, and so. But that, and he ended up eventually running Division One track and field, you know, signing a letter of intent and like the whole, the whole kind of nine yards, but it wasn't anything that him and I, like we were the top two guys on the team, but it wasn't something that him and I talked about. So it's kind of like, I really liked track and cross country in high school. I dedicated a lot of my time to it. I had friends and teammates that went and ran collegiately. But for whatever reason, I don't remember ever really thinking seriously about running in college. So then your legacy is you start the running club at CU Boulder. Uh, I guess. I mean, uh, yeah, as much of a legacy as that <laughs> is. I know now, I th- I'm pretty sure it's, a def- you know, it's not, it's no longer a club. Um, and even when I was doing it, it was pretty, it wasn't, I mean, we ran meets. We it, like we were like there's for collegiate club running. There is like a governing body. It's like NERCA, um, and we the year that we started the club, like we won the Mountain Regional. Um, I mean, we had a handful of guys that were were pretty good, um, but you know, I started that mostly kind of out of f- boredom, frustration. <laughs> uh, like I had, I had, I tried to walk on to the, the cross-country and track team at CU. Tell uh, me about the tryout. Well, it's not so much a tryout. It's not like, it's not like Mark Wetmore, you know, <laughs> staples, a, sta- staples a flyer to a bunch of telephone poles around campus that says, like, tryout, you know, 9 a.m. on Saturday morning. Um, it's, uh, there, there are two, for cross-country, there are two meets that... Um, that the they host at the ranch one of them being the shootout and the other one being like kind of an earlier season meet that i think they call something along the lines of like the alumni um like the alumni 8k um i didn't try out my freshman year uh just because i i don't know I, i i wasn't in shape i didn't really think about it it seemed way more intimidating then but i remember i got to campus my sophomore year feeling like I was in pretty decent shape um ended up running I think like 2830 uh which is I know I knew a few kids on the team and I know that some kid ended up walking onto the team by running like 28 flat that year like in that same race so I think I was close but you know like if I were a coach I would not probably let a 2830 8k runner um walk onto my team uh especially if i'm the colorado buffs but um that was that uh what did running become for you after that point like just something for fun because then afterwards i I mean just kind of fast forwarding through your college years i mean you had the club 
but then after that, like, did you, 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 you worked at FlowTrack for a bit, so running was still part of your life. Yeah, it's, um, I took it seriously, as seriously as, um, I think a, a college kid that wasn't running on a college team could. Like, I had pretty structured weeks, I would do workouts, I was, you know, I started the club because I was actively seeking other people to, to work out with, um, you know, and I, I was, I was around, like I was, whatever running scene was in Boulder between like 2008 and 2012, like I, you know, sniffed around a little bit. I tried to know the people that were running. Um, and, uh, I, um, I just lost my train of thought. What was the question? What was running to me? Yeah, it was important to me. I, you know, it's really easy, I think, to to fall in love with it when you're in Boulder. It's a it's a great place to run. It was a great place to train. I got into pretty good shape. Um, you know, uh, yeah. And for a while, I tried to be on like. You know, after the cross country tryout, I, I tried out for the track team in kind of a similar fashion, like in a open track meet, running the three k. Um, and then again, the last time I tried out was the summer of my the fall of my junior year, cross country again. Um, you know, and at that point, I had I knew a kid on the team. He invited me to like one of the workouts, so I, I worked out. This is actually a very very this is probably this is a very embarrassing story um, <laughs> if you want to hear it i don't think i've never really told this to to too many people um, and now thousands of people will listen to it so this thousands is thousands <laughs> of people no so i i was i would run with a couple kids that were on cu's team back you know in the late aughts um in the summer going into my junior year, so that would probably would have been 2011. Um, you know, I think they knew that I was in decent shape, and they were like, hey, we're running a four-mile tempo on the track today. Why don't you come out and uh, run with us? And I was like, oh, okay, sure. I didn't know to, like, what degree uh, this would be structured. You know, I didn't know if it was, like, just these two guys going out to the track and doing a, a late summer tempo by themselves or if it was like a team practice. Uh, but I showed up and it was like a full-blown team practice. Like the full men's team was there. And so were Mark Wetmore and the assistant coach, Heather Burrows. And so it was kind of one of those things where like, you go with somebody that you know, like you, I was invited, but like nobody, like I shook some people's hands, but I wasn't necessarily introduced. So I'm sure a lot of the people and the two coaches were like, who the fuck is this kid? <laughs> um, and so we start and it's fine. Like we're running probably between 520 and 530 for the first mile. We get to the second mile. I don't know if you know this about me, but I have a very, I've got a bad back. And it stems from this story. Like, I don't know what I was doing in the days leading up to this because, like, the doctors told me that this injury wasn't from running. It was probably from something else that aggravated it. But, like, we're 
we passed like the two mile mark and I feel okay, but I tweak something on my back. And if you've ever like had a bulging disc in your back, like you kind of can tell when it happens. And <laughs> for me, like the two times that it's happened to me, like I can feel it. And then you feel all the way up your spine, just tighten. And where the disc in my back was bulging is kind of lower in my spine. So it affects like the, the most pain that I had was like in my hips and every time I planted my feet. And so here I am on the track in front of, you know, one of the most accomplished coaches in the NCAA system and like one of the best teams, you know, annually in the NCAA and like I tweak my back and I have to stop and I have, I was, I didn't have my shirt on. It was like August, right? It was like 80 degrees. And I had to walk right next to where like Mark and Heather were sitting and pick up my shirt and limp off the track. Didn't say a word. I was like, woof. And then I just very, I was, I don't know. I couldn't really walk or run. <laughs> and I was like a mile and a half from my house. So I just limped very dejected back to my house. And I've tried to put that out of my memory, um, <laughs> but here I am. Was that the moment? I mean, you've done runs after college, and yeah. So I feel like you got to a point. Well, you, you you said it's very easy to fall in love with running, but did you ever fall out of it? I and mean, these questions sometimes feel a little romanticized. But like, did you fall out of running? And then there's just there's a period of time. I feel like because you've been doing this for so long and I've got, I've got other friends and we have other friends who are like this, where all of a sudden they just get very selective. It's like, you know, I'm just running, but I'm not mm -hmm. running to race. Like right. you're not hopping in a bunch of five K's, you're not bunching, hopping in like half marathons or even just the marathon. At that point, it was just kind of, it's something totally recreational. And I've just, I personally have never gotten to that point yet where it's like, there's a little feeling of burnout mm. and, and it's just, and there's also the feeling of like, oh, you know, my faster days might be behind me. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's the funny part is I never really had fa faster days to begin <laughs> with. Um, but no. And I think the reason that that's never necessarily happened for me is because if I ever felt that feeling kind of creeping up, I would just take time off. Like I would stop. I had nothing that I was racing for. Like I know that after kind of, these few times that I did try out for the team at CU, I would stop running for a little while. And then I would, I would come back to it in my own time. You know, it's not like I would immediately come back and try to start training for a race. And that's the thing is like most of the time I wasn't training for a race at all. I was training to train. I was training to, you know, offset the amount of alcohol that I was drinking on any given day in college. Um, and, yeah, so I've never really experienced burnout to the degree that I think like a lot of people that have been more seriously in the sport have. So you have this approach to running that just seems like it's been very positive. Mm -hmm. Naturally, someone seems to go from, all right, I've run on the tracks. There's a little curiosity that hits you about the roads. I mean, sometimes you never got that. Um, 
Like, are you talking about just in terms of the marathon or just road racing in general? I mean, half marathons seem to be pretty easy for people to do coming okay. out of a college system. Because, like, long runs and stuff would go, yeah. you know, 14, 15 miles sometimes. But, all right, let's 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 get to the marathon. The marathon is something you you just never tried up until just this past week. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I go back to the, the article you wrote, December 7, 2017, the beauty and carnage of the marathon. And in it, it was just kind of like you felt that this is where I kind of was feeling pretty happy reading this and that you were getting these feelings of like being surrounded by enough of Mm -hmm. these really cool marathon performances. You caught the bug. Right. Uh, Yeah, I would say so. I did. I moved to Los Angeles like five years ago. Um, And when I first moved to L.A. in 2014, I was actively training for a half marathon i had signed up i wanted to run a half and i got hurt um and i 100 percent blame it on moving to la it was like i was running on cement and if i wasn't running on cement i was running on this really uneven trail that was kind of just seemed to be a mixture of really big rocks and and sand um so i fucked up my body pretty good training for that half and then i stopped running altogether for like four years Right. Um, And when I say stop, I mean like fully, fully stopped. Like I would run once every two months maybe. Um, Or, and so I guess like a year and a half ago, two years when Sidious started and I, I got involved with that and, you know, I started going to like becoming more involved in the sport. um, It, yeah, I started seeing a lot of really great performances, and I felt that, yeah, that kind of itch to start training again. You know, not to start training, but to at least just be in shape, because we would go to these meets, and I would be hanging out with, like, Steven or Scott or, like, Paul and or you guys, like, you, and you guys would all be able to go, out like, oh, let's go for a run, and I would be like, well, I could probably hang out for maybe, like, 15 minutes, and then I'll go back to the house. Um, so it, it was just, it was more, I think my desire came initially came from just a social standpoint is like I was hanging out with runners again for the first time in a really long time. Um, and it, yeah, I, I wanted to get in shape. And so from there, I kind of started trying to run every now and then, but I really didn't start taking it seriously until kind of like last year I did. I went to, a, I saw a lot of marathons, right? Like I think it was started with CIM and then I was in like Chicago, in New York, Berlin. Um, Berlin. And uh, it just seemed, there was something about it that did seem kind of fun. Um, and I think it was mostly because like my friends were doing it, right? Like we saw... Gene uh, in New York City and to a much lesser extent Paul in New York City. Um, and uh, Then a year later she qualifies for the trials. Right, and then I, I was there for that. And then when you I was saw in, the world record? When I was in Berlin, yeah, I saw the world record and also in that race were um, some of the J-back guys, you know, like Scott and Nick and... Um, it was just cool to see your friends do something like that and then talk to them about it. And I think there's like being a runner 
and like you kind of understand the accomplishment that that actually is like outside of like even this marathon that I just ran like talking to people that aren't runners about it like oh that's nice you know and they obviously think that it's impressive even if maybe you didn't run like that great of a time but like being a runner like you can really kind of fully appreciate like the amount of work that went into getting to the starting line healthy and um I don't know I guess there was a weird part of me wanted to put in that work a weird part of me wanted to like go through like what they had and so um in probably summer of last year like July I started I was like all right I'm gonna run like three miles a day five days a week and just see how I can progress just to try to get into shape you buy a book (laughs) yeah and then uh I, I bought a book um advanced marathoning which uh, you laugh, but people people seem to like it. <laughs> you so you didn't do any sort of formal coaching. You just went by the book. Yeah, the book, like in the back, it just it's like there's three different plans. It's one like basically low, medium, and high mileage plan. And I was like, no way in hell am I doing medium or high mileage. So the low mileage plan, I think, peaks out at like 55 miles a week. Um. But yeah, I bought the book. I was like, I had in the back of my mind thought about the LA Marathon. Um, it's the hometown marathon. It's in March. I remember re- I remembered reading somewhere that it was net downhill, which seemed uh, seemed that it would be conducive to to someone like me who was looking for kind of an easy way out, I guess. <laughs> um, so yeah. I, there, there was like an 18 and a 12 week plan. And I think I started with the 18 week plan back in like December. Um, in this piece, I kind of want to, so let's, I want to go through your actual race mm-hmm. because I mean, that's the typical question you always hear is like, take me through your race. Sure. Um, but I want to compare it to some of your observations from this article that you wrote. So, this is already, this is pretty embarrassing because I don't, I don't like, I'm sure you're going to read some of the things that I wrote and I'm going to sound like an asshole or an idiot. <laughs> but sure, let's play this game. So you said you wrote, you know, the marathon doesn't really get interesting until the element of disaster knocks on the door. This starts to happen at roughly mile 10. Mm. Your first 10 miles. Okay. You were going pretty much according to plan. Like it um, seemed like you eased into it. You yeah. were running with Paul. So the thing the start was already kind of a disaster. Like we, (laughs) we didn't have the way that they do it. It's like a seated, there's a seating process so you can get into like higher up, which I think all marathons do. But for whatever reason, that starting corral with the seating was completely separate from the open corral and it was completely fenced off. And I don't know what the planners of this marathon were thinking was going to happen like from what it looked like they were going to clear out the seated corral. Like the gun goes off, they're going to clear out the seated corrals. And then I thought that maybe there were going to be volunteers that opened up the fence and the masses could go like through. 
and it, everybody was just kind of standing around for like 10 minutes. And we could see that the open corral had, or the seated corral had kind of emptied out and we weren't really being let in. So kind of chaos broke loose and people were like ripping down the fence and like squeezing through holes in the fence. So ultimately like Paul and I ended up like someone was holding the fence open and we squeezed through a part of the fence that was maybe like two people wide and just ran in there and crossed the starting line like 15 minutes after the, the gun had gone off. And because of that, we were for the first like three miles, three or four miles, I think we were running through just a massive amount of people. Um, so I would say like, yeah, between like, we were running maybe a little slower than I think we wanted to, which was probably good. Um, but I think that the plan was to get to the half in 125, um, which I think we did perfectly. Um, and then, so did it get into, yeah, I would say like by mile, by the half marathon point, that's when, at least for me, it kind of felt like we started to really run because I think after that, we started hitting some miles in like the 615 range, which, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, um, that felt so yes, I guess at, after, after mile 10, things started to get interesting. Um, you, you wrote, now I've seen folks have bad races before. Some, someone may be 30 seconds behind at the end of a steeplechase or having a little lie down at the end of a 10K. But nothing compares to the face of a marathoner having a bad day. When did you get that face? Mm. God, I'm in mile 20. Like, I would say that I was feeling fine. Well, your other line in this is waking up in the middle of mile 16 and realizing that you're covered in salt, mouth like a dried sponge, and still have 10 miles to go is probably something not too far off from a religious experience. Did you feel that? I didn't feel that until, like, mile 20. Like, mile 16 was fine. I don't know. Like, everything felt like it was going according to plan. I can't emphasize enough for me, my experience with this. Everything felt fine <laughs> until mile 20. And then it was, it was just, like, such a switch. Like, a switch was flipped. And immediately, I was just kind of... It was kind of like everything slowed down just like oh no <laughs> it's the wall that everyone talks about yeah i guess it's the wall um so yes to answer whatever question it was yes around mile 20 we passed a man covered in his own filth later we learned he had shit his pants at mile eight and went on to run somewhere around 216 a pretty decent trade-off if you ask me you are someone who has shit your pants mm -hmm. on a run before, but it didn't happen during this race. No, I felt pretty good. I've, I I kind of dialed in on... How much goo did you consume? I took a goo at the start. Paul and I cheers a really, really nasty flavor. Um, <laughs> and then I took another one, at, or the first one at mile 8, and then the second one at mile 16, and then... The third one at mile 20, I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what can I do to remedy how I'm feeling? And uh, RJ McNichols, friend of the blog, uh, and Gene Mack were running with us at that point, And they're like, take, take the goo. 
And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, didn't help. Surprise, surprise. Uh, at mile 20, I guess. Well, so what is the course like in terms of the atmosphere? I know New York is somewhere that, like, it's just constantly packed all throughout except for one of the bridges. Chicago, mm -hmm. it's pretty spectator-friendly. You can get around from various points. L.A., I just feel like it's not that spectator-friendly. Yeah, you'd be, uh, you'd be right. <laughs> um, it... And your friends were only at the end, right? I had the first, so my girlfriend and her friends... And then Jean were at mile 12, like right before the half. And that's where we picked up Jean. Like Jean, uh, it was, I thought it was pretty funny. Like we saw like my, like Jean and my girlfriend Becca and like her friends were all like standing on the corner and we were kind of waving to them. And at that point we were moving okay. Like we were running probably like 615s. And Jean goes from a standstill. I don't like, I, to me in my memory, it didn't, it, it's not like she started running slowly and let us catch up to her. And then she started going our pace. It felt like we ran by her and immediately she just started running 615s. Um, and then I saw my parents at mile 19, which was, you know. Uh, Did they make the trip out for that? No, my dad and my stepmom live in Pasadena. Oh, so. okay. It's like a, I don't know, from mile 19, it was probably a 30-minute drive. <laughs> um, and then saw, so my girlfriend went from mile 12 to mile 26, basically. And so three, three parts. So it's point to point. Los Angeles is, you know, it's big. It's difficult to get around. There's no public transportation. Um, so, yeah, they're really weren't that many people out i would say the rowdiest that it got was there were a few of the run crews right around like mile 23 um and they kind of made like a little shoot right so you're running through like what would maybe be like enough room for five people to run through at one time um i saw jason suarez there he sprinted along next to me like sprinted in front like snapped some pictures like sprinted in front again it was very impressive um how did the yeah. photos come out uh they came out they came out very nice he <laughs> sent them to me and uh, I'll, I'll send them to you so you can check them out <laughs> i put on a smile even though i was feeling like dog shit um but yeah i wouldn't say that there were that many people out at all and when you would run by like it got like probably after mile 10, it started to thin out in terms of the number of runners that were in front of Paul and I, which is another very funny thing Like I think I told you is that we ran respectively, Paul ran 249, I ran 255. By all accounts, that's not fast. In any other marathon, it wouldn't, I don't know. <laughs> Paul placed 44th and I placed 73rd. And so you, it, that's how I'm going to title this episode. It's Ryan Sterner. Top 100. Well, what is it? 70, 74th, you said? Yeah, it's like 73rd or 70-somethingth. 70, 70 yeah, that'll be it. Finisher yeah. at the Los Angeles Marathon. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Um, so by the time we get to a certain point, there's really not that many people in front of us. And so you would kind of turn corners, and it felt like people were surprised that there were runners on the street. Um, and uh, 
no, I don't know. Nobody would really clap. They would just kind of look at you. It's like they stumbled out onto the street and like, oh, what's going on out here? <laughs> like, it didn't seem like most people had purpose for being out in the streets. Um, that being said, I mean, there was a lot of, there seemed to be like a lot of volunteer groups out there that were like handing out water and shit like that. So that was really nice. And they were all very encouraging. Um, there was a man wearing a very fancy like tuxedo jacket with like coattails down to the ground and wearing white gloves that welcomed us into Beverly Hills that Paul <laughs> high-fived. Um, yeah. You kind of summarized and uh, just put a cherry on top of this piece by writing the following. This is not having run a marathon. I now understand the fundamental difference between running marathons and running anything shorter. There didn't look to be anything inherently fun about running a marathon. Stringing together a good training block can be fun, but the fun isn't in the 20-mile long runs or the solo workouts in the pitch black morning. The fun is filling in those consecutive days in the running log, maybe enjoying a beer afterward and feeling like you earned it. Any fun you're probably having wears off somewhere between a week before the race and right uh, right before the gun goes off. I saw the faces of every elite athlete before the start. Existential dread could be one way to describe it. A duck on the pond could be another. Uh, and so like, you kind of just go on here at the end. But did you, do you feel like you nailed it not having run a marathon? Or just how does that compare to the feeling after? Yeah, I don't want to toot my own horn too much. But, <laughs> you got uh, it. <laughs> You're like, why did I do well, this? I don't know how you feel like reading that either. But like, that's, I, you know, talking to a couple of my friends like, that are also runners. Yeah, I really truly did enjoy. I didn't train that much. Like, my training was very inconsistent, and I probably averaged, but like, high 30s in terms of mileage, so it didn't feel like a lot, but, you know, I trained by myself um, for the most part. I did try to v- be very consistent with my long runs, and even though I was, wasn't training that much, I still had a lot of fun with it. Like, the marathon workouts, I, did, I had a lot of fun, and it was nice to kind of see the miles however slowly like accumulate and it was nice kind of week by week feeling like you were getting in better shape um and then the thing that you read that I guess that I wrote (laughs) a while ago now was uh that the fun wears off eventually and I would kind of agree with that because the week leading up to the marathon I went back and forth in my head I was like I'm hurt I'm not gonna run and like you know, there was a very short taper. Like, I didn't really do too much the last two weeks. And there was, it was hard to kind of fight that feeling that I wasn't doing enough. It was like, I know that I should be resting, but also, like, I should probably also be doing a long run because I need to get in better shape. And so I, I had my girlfriend was probably just very bothered by my constant, like, quibbling. But I was like, I just, I'm not going to be able to do this. This is going to suck. I was very nervous. And so I was not having fun, I'd say, the week leading up to the marathon. Um, Getting to the starting line was pretty hectic. There was a lot of traffic. So I could honestly say that, yeah, leading up to the gun and then obviously the the fiasco of trying to figure out the corral situation when the gun actually went off was very stressful. So, yeah, I didn't have that much fun until the race started. And then I stopped having fun when the race started to go badly for me. So... There wasn't really too much fun, like, on the day, I'd say. Um, 
you did answer your question in the piece later on in the second to last paragraph you you write was it fun was it worth it i guess that's for you to decide so i guess you just answered the was it fun so was it worth it yeah definitely i it was almost like within five minutes of crossing the finish line i was like well fuck i'm gonna have to do another one really yeah i'm surprised yeah um Honestly, like if I if I didn't feel so terrible, I would probably I, I've I've been wanting to run. And obviously, it's only like three days after the marathon. But yeah, I've I've felt like I felt like running. I felt like starting to train again. I'm like I should I want to, uh, I would like to. Uh, you qualified for Boston? Barely, huh? Squeaked in. <laughs> would you do that one? Mm, no, there's. <laughs> I understand, like the I understand Boston, uh, from maybe like an elite athlete point of view, um, but I don't really understand understand it from a regular marathoner's point of view. And maybe you like correct me if I'm wrong, but it just seems like if you're gonna put in all that hard work, like why the fuck would you go to a marathon where you can't really guess the weather? One and two. It's a like a pretty notoriously slow course, like a slow, difficult course. Like, I feel like I would be frustrated, and maybe that's the point: is like feeling like you can conquer something more right. like, difficult. But it's like, <laughs> I yeah, it's a challenge. But I think for me, at least personally, you know, with having three days to reflect, I'm I already want to run much faster than what I ran in Los Angeles, and the idea of putting in three months of work and then going and just only to probably run something not as fast as what I think that I might be capable of because of the course, because of the weather, potentially. It just doesn't. That, so currently, right now, that doesn't appeal to me. I would maybe want to do something like Chicago or um, you know, maybe go back up to Minnesota and do Grandma's or something like that. Interesting. Well, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you had a positive experience out of this whole entire thing, Ryan. Hey, thanks, Chris. Um, all right, I guess since you are a guest, I have to ask you the final three questions I ask every guest. Sure. The first one, I mean, do you have a funny drug testing story? Um, I, I, I know of not, not, <laughs> not related to track and field. <laughs> Share it. <laughs> uh, I know a handful of people, and this might speak to the people that I hang out with, that have bought fake urine to pass a, a work-related drug test. And so the stories are basically just how they've smuggled in fake urine to uh, the bathroom of a Target to, to pass the drug test so they could become an employee folding clothes at Target. Um, so that's... Uh, that's no, probably I, it. I don't have a, a funny drug testing story. <laughs> and uh, you, you probably haven't been mentioned on Let's Run, right? So you don't have... No, like what I have. You have? Yeah, somebody started a thread that, like, basically it was, I, the title was, like, who the fuck does Ryan Sterner think he is? And then the first post was, like, saying that I, my point of view on most things that you so kindly let me talk about is dumb and incorrect. And I seem to be a sort of provocateur, but not <laughs> in a way that's, like, interesting or funny. And thank God, nobody nobody responded to it. But I think it was somebody somebody in the city of Slack like sent it to General, and I was like, well, that's like a pretty mean thing for someone to do. But I was kind of hoping that people 
would really like maybe there was one or two people out there that had an opinion that was really going to lay into me but i guess it's just that guy <laughs> some guy out there just shaking his fist and just like mm-hmm. had to get it out of his system yeah. um if you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history assuming they could hold a conversational pace with you who uh would go on this run with you and where would this run take place where would this run take place anywhere in the world i don't know i haven't ran all over the world so i can't really say uh I'm sure there are plenty of beautiful places, but why not? I would run with, woof, I don't know. I don't have a good answer for that. But if I ever think of who I would run with. I'm trying to think, like, you're a big NBA fan. There's no, like, NBA player you'd love to pick the um, brain of. See, that's a good... I'm really bad when people are like, oh, what's your favorite movie? Or like, what's your favorite book? I just can't think of any book or movie that I've ever read or seen. So um, NBA player, that's a good prompt. Uh, yeah, let's go with Larry Bird. Okay. He used to be really fast. Yeah, and he seems like a bit of a maniac. Like, he definitely was a little bit of a wild card. Loved to talk a lot of shit could back it up, um, played through one of, you know, NBA's most storied rivalries, uh, coached a couple really good Pacers teams, and then just kind of seemed to melt into the shadows. So I would run with Larry Bird, and I would take him around, like, this eight-mile loop that I used to run in uh, high school, this very loop that I shit my pants on back in Howard Lake, Minnesota. Perfect. And the last one is, uh, I think I know your answer. You get 25 shots from half court. You make one, you win $25 million. You don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. You would <laughs> Yeah, take the shots. All right, well, so I'll, I'll take it a step further because I did see that they were just talking about this on Around the Horn this week. Two shots, $2 billion. Do you attempt that? No. <laughs> no. Well, what, from half court? Yeah. No, God, no. Yeah. No, that's dumb. Yeah. The 25 is a lot of attempts. So yeah. I think you you play enough basketball, I think you'd get it. But I would still not try it personally. All right, Ryan. I know you've got dinner plans in a couple minutes, so I'm going to let you go. But thank you so much for taping this podcast with me. You're the pro. Did I sound like an asshole? No, I think you did great. Hey, thanks, Chris. Thanks for having me.